So this morning, we come finally, after all our time in John's Gospel, to the, to the death of our Lord. Um, I'm just going to read our passage. Um, I wonder, we just heard in the scripture that Lance read of standing. Would you just stand with me? John chapter 19, verses 28 to 30 says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, said in order to accomplish the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is accomplished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. God's people said, Amen. And you can be seated. I want to just mention something briefly at the beginning that this sour wine that stood there was not there by chance. It was probably at most, if not all, crucifixion sites. It was regularly given to crucified victims for the sake of quenching their thirst. Um, It was not there to be mean or to be an insult. In fact, it was the wine that the soldiers themselves probably drank uh, for quenching their thirst. It was the preferred drink for quenching thirst quickly. Um, So, having said that, I want to ask you this question. When Jesus says, I thirst, is he referring to physical thirst, which on a cross was a horrible torment? Or is he referring to a different kind of thirst? Is he referring to a spiritual thirst? How we answer that question is going to change Everything about how we read this passage. Now, because if, you, if you're like me, and if you're not, more power to you, I'm glad. But if you're like me, I have automatically assumed all my life physical thirst. This is what Jesus was expressing. I will also say that while I always assumed he was saying, I am thirsty for physically for drink, I always, I always struggled with this passage. There were lots of problems that I had, but, well, I, I guess I didn't understand it. So, because we, I think, if you like me, assume physical thirst, and because only this week I have become convinced otherwise, we're going to need to spend some time exploring this question. Um, I, I don't, obviously, I never want you just to take my word for something. That would be ridiculous. Um, And yet, since this is so ingrained in us, we're going to do a little work in the process. But my prayer is that as we go along in the process, we're going to be edified. And then certainly when we come to the end. So we're going to see in a new and a wonderful way the full accomplishment of our salvation in this thirst of Jesus. John tells us that Jesus said, I thirst, in order to accomplish the scripture. Okay, but John doesn't cite any Old Testament scripture. The general assumption is that John has in mind these verses from Psalm 69, which say, I hoped for sympathy, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Now, I've just set myself a pretty tough task right now, because it sure looks like that's an open and shut case, right? I believe that John does have this passage in mind in Psalm 69. Remember last week we talked about how Jesus fills up the Psalms. And so when Jesus drinks the sour wine, he is once again filling up the Psalms, particularly that one in Psalm 69. 
but in a way that we're not going to expect. I can hardly contain myself, kind of, because this is so wonderful, and I'm just praying that the journey will, will teach us as we go, and that you'll come in the end to the joy that I have. Let's look at a couple of the problems with physical thirst. And, and most of, two of them are going to be important. This one is a little more peripheral, but the, the physical thirst interpretation assumes that before the scripture could be fulfilled, which says, for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink, Jesus had to ask for that drink. He had to say, I thirst. So in other words, why is Jesus saying, I thirst? Well, to fulfill the scripture that said he would drink sour wine. So he says, I thirst, so they'll offer him sour wine. Problem is, Jesus has been offered sour wine already, prior to that. So, there appear to be three different times Jesus was offered a drink on the cross. Matthew 27, when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink, mixed with gall. Perhaps it's a narcotic drink to numb some of the pain, and after tasting it, he did not want to drink. Now, Matthew doesn't mention any fulfillment of Scripture here. He doesn't say that was to fulfill the Scripture. But he does apparently see this as a filling up of Psalm 69, 21. They gave me gall for my food. Now, this was in his drink, but it doesn't matter. It's not a prediction. It's a filling up. Luke tells us about the next time Jesus was offered a drink. Not the time we're reading about in John. The soldiers also mocked Jesus, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now Luke, again, Luke doesn't mention any fulfilling of scripture. But this obviously qualifies as the filling up of the second half of Psalm 69, 21. For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. So, by the time Jesus says, I thirst, right before he dies, Psalm 69, 21 has already been fulfilled. Now, that doesn't mean, I'm not saying that this isn't another fulfillment, that this isn't, it's not continuing to be fulfilled in this third offering of a drink. But it does mean that it wasn't necessary for Jesus to say, I thirst. He didn't have to say, I thirst, in order for this fulfillment to happen. It wasn't necessary to ask for a drink in order to accomplish Psalm 69.21 because it had already been accomplished. And here, brothers and sisters, is an important point. John's emphasis is preeminently on the word that Jesus speaks. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, he said, in order to accomplish the scripture, and brothers and sisters, here's what he said. John says, here's what Jesus said. Pay close attention. He said, I thirst. John's point is not to say, oh, he said a thirst, that's irrelevant, really. It's the sour wine that's relevant. No, John's point is, look what Jesus said. If Psalm 69, 21 has already been fulfilled, then what is the meaning of Jesus saying, I thirst, in order to accomplish the scripture? A second difficulty, and and, and I encourage you, one of the things I, I long to do in the preaching is to teach you how to read your Bibles. And so I, I, I wonder if you will maybe almost be, don't, don't have me drag you along, as it were, but try to, try to run ahead of me if you can, as you start hearing me say something. Say, oh, I know where he's going. Let me get there first. Okay? So the second difficulty with the physical thirst interpretation is that Jesus asks for a drink knowing that immediately after receiving the drink, he is going to bow his head and give up his spirit. Now, what's the problem with that? We know that Jesus does not say things in order to match a prediction. 
In other words, Jesus isn't thinking to himself here on the cross. Picture the scene. Jesus is hanging in torment on the cross. And he's not thinking to himself, now there's another scripture that predicted I would be offered sour wine. So in order for that to happen, I know I need to ask for a drink before I die. In fact, remember this. If Jesus had never been offered sour wine to drink, would the scripture still be true and faithful? Let's say Jesus was never offered sour wine. Is there any problem? No, because the scriptures never predicted that he would be offered sour wine. They never predicted that. If Jesus is asking for a drink then, what does that tell us? Why is he asking for it? The reason must be because he truly is thirsty and he truly is craving a drink. But for how long, I ask you, is Jesus' thirst going to be satisfied? Apparently for about just a few seconds before he bows his head and gives up his spirit. Look at the screen. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, said, in order to accomplish the scripture, I thirst. Therefore, as soon as he'd received the sour wine, he died. Now, if you're all right with saying Jesus went through the motions to get this done so he could match a prediction, we can see that. But this makes Jesus drink nothing more than a necessary step that had to be got out of the way before Jesus could die. This implies that Jesus' thirst was never really the point, and he only said it to fulfill a scripture about sour wine. And this was always the problem I had when I read this passage. This, this passage was like in Sunday school this morning. You know, like, why is, I, I always read this passage and I thought, this does not make sense to me. Not only does this contradict what we know about scriptural fulfillments, but it also ignores the fact That John's primary emphasis is not on the sour wine. What's it on, brothers and sisters? It's on the word Jesus spoke from the cross. I thirst. A third difficulty with the physical thirst interpretation is it assumes Jesus' statement, I thirst, is actually a request that he is addressing to The bystanders. In other words, what is Jesus saying? Please give me a drink. Now, that's fair enough, but we have to remember, it's not a question. It's not a request in the form. Jesus simply says, I thirst. Now, I translate it that way because it's a verb. It's not an, you know, I am thirsty. You could say that, but but it's a verb. So he's saying, I am thirsting. I am thirsting. I thirst. Now, if Jesus is actually asking for a drink, please give me a drink, this does seem out of character. Now, I'm not saying that it couldn't have happened. Jesus did experience the torment of real physical thirst. But in his commitment to drink the cup of suffering to the full that the Father had given him. It doesn't seem in character for Jesus to be asking the bystanders for a drink. Remember when Jesus was offered a narcotic drink? He was offered that without asking. He turned it down. And let's do this. Every other word that Jesus speaks from the cross has to do either with his concern for others or his redeeming work or his relationship to the Father. So look at all of these. These are all the things Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He said to the thief, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, Behold your mother. He cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, it is accomplished. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
Do you get the tenor, the flavor, as it were? Given the tenor of everything else Jesus has said while he's on the cross, asking the people for a drink to satisfy his craving does seem out of place. Throughout this whole account, John's emphasis, the portrait he is, he is painting for us, is that Jesus is the one in control as he voluntarily lays down his life for us. So to say then that Jesus, and, and again, I'm not going to go to the stake for this, but I am preaching a sermon on this. <laughs> So we have this picture of Jesus, if he's asking for a drink, I need a drink of sour wine, I'm thirsty. He gets it, and then immediately, immediately, he bows his head and gives up his spirit. Okay, I've done the difficulties. Now, is there any reason we should believe that this is not a physical thirst, but a spiritual thirst? Oh, this is where it gets exciting. Because there is every reason in the text, to believe that. We read in verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that's one of the things that always, that's another thing that always messed me up when I read this passage. Knowing that all things were now accomplished, said, in order to accomplish the scripture, I thirst. Okay. When what Jesus is about to say, he says, why? Specifically, as a result of his knowledge that all things have now already been accomplished. It seems anticlimactic. And maybe even contradictory for Jesus to ask for a drink so that the scripture about sour wine can be fulfilled specifically because because he knows that all things have now already been accomplished right now what are the all things that have already been accomplished what are they John uses this word accomplished In several other places, John chapter 4, Jesus said to his disciples, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So, brothers and sisters, what's, what are the all things? What is the all things that have already been accomplished? They are all the redeeming, revelatory, the redemptive, revelatory works that the Father gave Jesus to do. So here, ask yourself this question. And see, the best thing is, if you can come to the answer without me telling you, you're then then that's, that's the ultimate goal. Okay. So the question you need to ask yourselves is this. What is the connection between knowing that all things have now already been accomplished and as a result in your handout, as a result of this knowledge saying, I thirst. What's the connection between knowing he has already accomplished all the works the Father has given him to do and then saying, as a result of this knowledge, I thirst. Mm. We continue then to explore this verse after this. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, said in order to accomplish (laughs) the scripture, I thirst. This is one of the reasons I love the Legacy Standard Bible, because they translate. Now, they, they use the word finish, not accomplish, but they translated it the same all three places, which none of your translations do. Most of them, unless you have the Legacy Standard Bible, most of the translations say fulfilled here 
in order to fulfill the scripture. That's not what it says. In fact, nowhere else in the New Testament is this word used to refer to the fulfillment of scripture. In fact, in verse 24, John just said, um, this was in order that the scripture would be fulfilled. So John knows the word. He uses it only two or three verses before. Or after, wherever. Yeah, before. So, but now he specifically uses this word accomplished. Why does he do that? Well, using that word is the, John's way of drawing some lines. Of making a connection with what comes immediately before. What came immediately before? Knowing that all things were now accomplished. And with, he's drawing a line to what comes immediately after. What comes after? It is accomplished, right? And so what John means for us to see then, when he, when he puts, in order that the scripture might be accomplished, he means for us to see that this word that Jesus speaks, I thirst, it has everything to do with the final, climactic, accomplishment of all his redeeming work. This word that Jesus speaks, I thirst, has everything to do with the only thing that still remains for Jesus to do. And what's the only thing that still remains for Jesus to do? It is to bow his head and give up his spirit So let's continue now. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, said, in order to accomplish the scripture, I thirst. John's emphasis is all on that single word in the Greek, a single word, dipsao, I thirst. Now, where is that coming from? Because we need some reason that, well, we don't, but we get one. Okay, we've seen already that the words of the psalmist come as naturally to Jesus in prayer as any words of his own. Why is that? Because the words of the psalmist belong to Jesus. They are ultimately his. So Jesus can cry out on the cross using the words of the psalmist. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus is not like, I got a great memory verse for this. Right? No, the words of the psalmist are his. He he cries out with the language of the psalms that he has sung all his life, that he's meditated on all his life. And now in his moment of greatest agony and torment, he uses those words in prayer to the Father. Not only does he cry out on the cross using the words of the psalmist there, but then only a few moments later, he cries out again using the words of the psalmist, into your hands I commit my spirit. We talked about a sandwich in Sunday school this morning. Sandwiched in between these two quotations from the psalms is this word of Jesus. I thirst. Now, you know where I'm going. Are you ahead of me? Are you running ahead of me? Because now we're starting to wonder, if Jesus just prayed from the Psalms and then prayed from the Psalms, and here's his word in the middle, could it possibly be praying from the Psalms? And what does his, so what does his I thirst, now can you put this together? What does his I thirst have to do with his prior My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would you say, I thirst, right after saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do you think? And what does it have to do with his subsequent, into your hands I commit my spirit? Why would you say, I thirst, immediately before saying, into your hands I commit my spirit? Is it possible 
that Jesus is still using the prayer language of the Psalms. Well, it it just so happens it is possible. We're going to look at Psalms 42 and 43 just briefly, but in John chapter 12, this is what Jesus said. Now my soul has become dismayed. Later in the garden, Jesus says to Peter and James and John, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And I just want to say, I'm not just reading these verses just for a proof text to get somewhere where I want to go. This is part of it. We we come here this morning to hear the word taught, but also to hear the word read. And I never want to read a passage of scripture just to get somewhere. So we listen to these verses and we let them work in us. Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, saying, my soul has become dismayed. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And in both of those expressions, we hear plain echoes of the psalmist's words in Psalm 42 and 43. Three times, this is what the psalmist says. Why are you deeply grieved, O my soul? And why are you dismayed within me? So when you hear Jesus saying, my soul is dismayed, my soul is deeply grieved, did Jesus, who even on the cross is quoting the Psalms in his deepest torment, does he have in mind Psalm 43? Why are you deeply grieved, O my soul? Why are you dismayed within me? And then the psalmist also prays in the same chapter, probably originally one chapter, O my God, my soul is dismayed within me. There are other parallels between these psalms and the experience of Jesus. Look at this. The psalmist laments, My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? And that was probably mockery from, the, from his own countrymen who believed in God but believed he was not approved of by God. How does that not remind you of the mockery of the chief priests and scribes and elders when they said to Jesus, he trusts in God, let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. Isn't that just to say, where is your God? Again, the psalmist laments, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. You could hear Jesus praying these words on the cross. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? You are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? How does that not remind us of Jesus' prayer on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see all these parallels? Clear. Parallels between Psalms 42 and 43 and the experience of Jesus. Should it then be surprising to us? Are you going to be surprised by this? That Jesus would draw from these Psalms the language of his own prayer on the cross. We read in Psalm 42, 1 to 2, the same Psalm we've just been looking at. As the deer longs for the water brooks, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Immediately before Jesus said, I thirst, he drew the language of his prayer to God from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken Immediately after Jesus said, I thirst, he drew the language of his prayer to God from Psalm 31. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Should it be surprising to us if when Jesus says, I thirst, these two are words of prayer addressed not to the bystanders, but to God. My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? I thirst. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Into your hands I commit my spirit. How does this put together then? Only now, when all things have been accomplished. Only now, when Jesus has completed, brothers and sisters, completed the work that the Father gave him to do, only now can Jesus turn to his own supreme desire to be with the Father again. Remember the words Jesus prayed just the night before. And I was so excited. This, is, this, was just, this week was just one thing after another of, 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 of discovery and, and wonder. So only the night before Jesus prayed these words, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished, there's that word, the work which you have given me to do. And now look what Jesus says. Now, Father, Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. All things he has accomplished, now he turns his attention to that all-consuming thirst to be with his Father again. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, said, in order to accomplish the scripture, I thirst. Now that all things have been accomplished, he expresses his longing, his thirst, to be again in the Father's presence. Now, now here's something wonderful. If, if Jesus, I thirst, is drawn from the world of Psalms 42 and 43, then we can learn a lot about that thirst by reading in these psalms. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then look what the psalmist prays. When shall I come and appear before God? Isn't that Jesus' desire now on the cross? Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory I had with you before the world was. I used to go along with the throng, says the psalmist, and lead them in procession to the house of God with the sound of a shout of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed or dismayed within me? Wait for God, for I shall still praise him for the salvation of his presence. Isn't this what Jesus thirsts for now? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain and to your dwelling places. You're getting a picture, a window into the heart, into the deepest longings and desires of Jesus' heart. Even as he hangs on the cross. If Jesus is expressing a spiritual longing to return to the Father's presence when he says, I thirst, why then do we read in verse 29? A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. The answer to that question is easy. Maybe you're already ahead of me. We are coming now to Psalm 69, 21, but Matthew and Mark both describe how Jesus was given this drink of sour wine. You can read about this drink, the same drink, in Matthew and Mark. But the difference is in Matthew and Mark, they never tell us that Jesus said, I thirst. No, they tell us something different. So let's read their account. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Look, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. 
put it on a reed, and gave him a drink. Now, this is another thing that always confused me. Did it ever confuse you? I would read this and see, Jesus just said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And someone takes that as their cue to go get him a drink. I, I always wondered that seemed a little strange to me. And they get him a drink saying, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And then he receives the drink and Jesus uttering a loud cry, probably it is accomplished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Breathe this last. It's almost like the drink was the, I mean, did he really need the drink? Is that what he wanted when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in Mark, the bystander gives Jesus a drink in response to his cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would he do this? I wonder if it's because he misunderstood the other word that Jesus spoke as a part of this prayer. The word that only John tells us Jesus prayed. I thirst. One of the reasons I'm not surprised that John is the only gospel writer who includes this is because John includes, as we're about to see, so many other places where Jesus said something and everyone misinterpreted it. Jesus, I thirst in John is the positive counterpart to his my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in Matthew and Mark. But the bystanders don't understand and so they misinterpret what it is that Jesus is truly thirsting for. Jesus thirsts for God. He longs now, he longs now to depart, not simply to escape his torment and sufferings, though certainly, yes, but now that he's accomplished the work, now that it is accomplished, he longs to depart and be with his father. So now we can see an even greater irony in the filling up of these words from Psalm 69, which I am sure John has in his mind. Read these verses now. For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. When those words are, as it were, on the lips of Jesus, we see all the more the irony. For Jesus' thirst, which was to return to the Father's presence, what has he given Sour wine to drink. Oh, how they did not understand the deepest longings of Jesus. We hear someone say, I thirst. And, you know, we we put them in a box and we say, if you don't tell me what kind of thirst you're talking about, then I am going to assume you're talking about physical thirst and don't expect me to try to figure anything else out. Right? Maybe that's fair with each other. If you come up to me and tell me you're thirsty, you can't blame me for offering you a drink of water. But let me ask you this. Why should we assume that's the case with Jesus? Over and over in John, people have made exactly these kinds of assumptions. And over and over, they've been what? They've been wrong. John 2, Jesus answered them, destroy this sanctuary, and here he is standing in the temple, destroy this sanctuary, and in three days I will raise it up. Well, how else are the Jews supposed to take him? The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this sanctuary, and will you raise it up in three days? John 3, Jesus answered and said to him, to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we're all, we've all got this, right? But Nicodemus didn't, and though at some level he should have. Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? John 4, Jesus answered and said to the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, 
You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And we spiritualized that right away, rightly so, but living water was a phrase that meant flowing water, like bubbling water, water bubbling up from from a spring. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that flowing, bubbling water? John 6. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, I am the living bread. Whoever eats of this bread, he will live forever. And also the bread which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? John 11. Jesus said these things, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may wake him up. Well, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will be saved from his sickness. John chapter 4, perhaps most significantly. The disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. And then Jesus says to them, I have food to eat you don't know about. How are we supposed to take that? So the disciples were saying to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. When Jesus, because he knows, I don't know how you put yourself in Jesus' shoes, we don't really, but kind of. So, so try to be, be there in this. When Jesus, because he knows that all things have been accomplished. When he says, because he knows this, I thirst. What should we assume he's thirsting for? When Jesus says, in order that the scripture might be accomplished, when he says, for this reason, I thirst, what should we assume he is thirsting for? I believe this word is part of his prayer. That he prays on the cross, a quilt work, as it were, of various psalms, a prayer steeped in the language of the psalms. Because all things have been accomplished, Because the only thing remaining is for Jesus to lay down his life. Jesus turns now to his own supreme desire to be with the Father again. He expresses his longing, his thirst, to be again in the Father's presence. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is accomplished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The bystanders, they responded to Jesus' thirst by giving him a drink of sour wine. But Jesus reveals the true nature of his thirst by bowing his head and giving up his spirit. That is where we see the true nature of his thirst. Thirst. And so we see in Jesus' thirst the full accomplishment of our salvation. I just want to ask you do you see it? Are you seeing it with me? It is accomplished. Jesus cried in triumph. This is why I like it is accomplished rather than it is finished. The finished works, finished is good, it's not bad. But what we need to hear in this is not simply, we could be tempted to hear him saying, it's ended, I've reached the end. No, but he's, what he's really saying is, it's accomplished, I've done it. It is achieved. Only then did he bow his head and give up his spirit. He came forth from the Father, brothers and sisters. He came into this world. And now, having fully accomplished the work the Father gave him to do, he's leaving the world again and going to the Father. Because that's where he longs to be. 
He's leaving the world again and going to the Father, which, by the way, is where he has said that he will prepare a place for us. Because he desires that we should be with him where he is. So you see, in Jesus' thirst and longing to be with the Father again, it's not a thirst or a longing that even in that is irrespective of you and me. So I ask myself and I ask you, do we thirst? That's a strong word. Do we thirst for the day when we're with him, where he is, and we see his glory, which the Father gave him? What did Jesus say? To see me is to see the Father. Do we share his thirst? And when I, when I see Jesus, even on the cross, saying, Father, I thirst, he wants to be with the Father, that inclines me to thirst. It, it, it draws me into his thirst to say, yes, yes, Lord, give me that longing, that desire to, to, see, to see this in his deepest agony. I, what, I, what I think is beautiful, then, is, is that Jesus isn't simply saying, oh, I can't wait to get out of this. I'm in this place of torment, and I just want to escape it. No, Jesus is saying, even in his deepest agony, I have a longing, Father, to be with you. I thirst. So we see... We, have this, we can have this desire to be with him where he is, to see his glory which the Father has given him because the Father loved him. And here's some key words. And because the Father loved us in him before the foundation of the world. And I ask you and I ask myself, what is it that you're thirsting for? Does your thirst in any way compare with the thirst of Jesus? There are many things, of course, that the world holds before us to thirst for. Things that that many of them are legitimate and good things. But if they occupy that front and center place and the, the object of our soul's deepest thirst, that's where we have a problem, right? So we ask ourselves, what is it that we're thirsting for? Do we have a thirst that is even now already being satisfied in Jesus? Can we say then, even with Jesus, can we say, can you say, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God? Jesus said in John chapter 4 and then John chapter 7, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, ever. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I ask you, how can Jesus say things like that? Well, one answer is this, because he was thirsty. Because he was thirsty. Because after crying out in triumph on the cross, it is accomplished. He revealed the true nature of his thirst by bowing his head and giving up his spirit. Are you drinking of the water that Jesus gives? Has this water become in you a well of water springing up to eternal life? Which is simply to say, are you believing in him? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would take take your word and work it in us. Please forgive us for going to broken cisterns that can hold no water and looking for drink. 
as we have so often done each day of our lives. Lord, let us drink from Jesus. And let us find that in drinking from him, we have no other thirst. Let us be always thirsting and always satisfied. Lord, thank you, though, above all, for the portrait, for the, for the person of Jesus Christ. As we see him give expression to his thirst by voluntarily bowing his head, giving up his spirit, and departing to be with his Father. Lord, we thank you that, that in that return to the Father, we have been caught up through faith. Lord, help us, help us, whether in the midst of sufferings or in the midst of, of ease, to desire more than anything else that day when we are with you in your presence, with our Lord Jesus in his presence. And we thank you, Father, that in, in, in his thirst, in his return to you, we have the assurance that it is accomplished, that it is finished, that he has completed all of the works that you sent him to do. There is nothing left. It's done. All glory, all praise, all honor to you. Let us rejoice in this this morning, even as we sing and as we take the Lord's Supper together. In Jesus' name, amen.